Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship. Hey, what are all these mutants doing around here? It's the comics crossover cavalcade, and we're talking about Star Trek X-Men 1 and 2. Miles, buddy, how you doing? I am good, and I'm so glad you gave the exact intro that I had in my head because I was thinking about doing it myself, and I, it was almost to the letter of what you were, what you did. <laughs> <laughs> so we are talking today in the second installment, third installment. I don't know what installment it is anymore. Third, we did Batman Aliens last oh, week. Oh, that's right. And- about that. Superman, Spider-Man, and Batman Hulk the week before. So this is our third installment of our comics crossover cavalcade, where we are talking about maybe one of the weirdest mashups that has happened so far. Yeah, and I mean, this is what makes crossovers exciting, is because you take characters, it's not just like, you know, Batman, Captain America, who win a fight, but you get some weird things. As we saw last week with Batman Aliens, sometimes that, that makes magic. And and sometimes it gives you some inconsistencies. And and this book, uh, the first one at least, came out in 1996. And I feel like the stuff that works works well. But this is also a little bit before we saw a lot of crossovers taking more than one issue. And we see, to me, we see where that starts to become a little bit of a problem. Yes. And and in fact, as we see the first, because we did find uh, both the first and the second Star, Star Trek X-Men crossover. Yes, we're doing Star Trek X-Men. Uh, if the intro uh, did not uh, tell you that. Uh, <laughs> the, the first issue was, I think, a 30 or 40 page book. And the second one was a 60, almost 70 page book. And they definitely needed a lot more of that space to tell the story. And they told a much better story doing that. But let's, before we get into that, let's get to some of the background. Because we have a very tiny, small amount of background for this. Uh, And that all goes down to a little imprint called Paramount Comics. Yeah, and it's it's really funny when you look at the cover of Star Trek X-Men because it, it looks like a crossover. We have the Marvel and the Paramount, and you don't get the indication that this is an imprint. Like, Marvel put out Paramount Comics, and this was really their first original work. They did a, a prequel to the first Mission Impossible film as their first comic, but Star Trek X-Men was, I, I would say, their, their flagship book. And I believe, Drew, you can probably tell better than I can. That I think they did more Star Trek books after this. They did. So so Paramount Comics. So when we talk about comics, we talk about imprints. Imprints are basically sub-brands of comics. So we talk about uh, the one of the big ones is Vertigo, which is its own was. kind of... Was. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, which was, uh, for a very long time, its own thing. But... It's owned and operated by DC Comics. So they own all that IP and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm trying to think if there are any other big na- big today known comic book imprints right now. Well, uh, today, maybe not so much. You did have, well, Wildstorm was a big imprint of DC for a little bit, which was prior um, an 
image imprint. You also had Top Cow, which was an imprint for for a hot minute. And, and a lot of these Top Cow artists and writers worked for Paramount Comics and and did this specific book. I mean, and, and the, the talent on this book is pretty impressive. You got Mark Silvestri, David Finch. Uh, Billy Tan, all these artists have be- have become kind of marquee cover or or uh, interior artists. But uh, to to answer your question, Drew, outside of Vertigo, as far as like I would say important imprints, and I know some people at home might be listening and rolling their eyes, but I, as far as impact today, I don't, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Yeah, so. So Paramount, and, and and this is the Paramount Pictures <laughs> group, they approached Marvel about working together to make comics. They made a prequel to the first Mission Impossible film, which is crazy, but most of what they did was Star Trek comics. There is not a lot known about what happened, except that it seems like either sales were down or things went sour, because the Paramount Comics imprint only lasted about a year and a half, two years. Well, and yeah, and they they did one for all of the major uh, Star Trek properties, but they also had stuff like the was, it was called Starfield Academy, or I all I know is they had a book that had Nog in it. Yeah, so, so I want and, to read that book. So all these things were going on while Voyager and Deep Space Nine were on the air. So you have a Star Trek Voyager comic, you have a Star Trek Starfleet Academy comic, which was telling the story about the character Nog from Deep Space Nine while he was at Starfleet Academy that sort of went along with what was going on in the... the I, I want to read show. that book because Nog is one of my favorite characters and I, I, am, I would love to see how that went down. There is also a Star Trek Early Voyages uh, comic that focused on Christopher Pike's days as the captain of the Enterprise. Uh, which is very interesting because the, apparently that book was getting really interesting for for a lot of fans uh, and covers a lot of material based just around that original Cage pilot and what happened before and after that. Uh, but it also uh, ended on a huge cliffhanger that will never be resolved because the company went that's, under. That's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so So somewhere along the lines, Marvel and Paramount, in order to promote this new brand, this new imprint, decided to come together and have a crossover between their premier comic lines and premier casts of characters, Star Trek X-Men, which some fans have started calling these lines the Trex-Men books with the T-R-E-X Star Treks. Uh, which I, I kind of appreciate. <laughs> but, I, no, I do. Is, that, is that really a thing? Or are you making that up? I, I mean, I'm not making this up. I, I'm. Yeah. So what's so this this makes total sense, because in 1996, the X-Men were the hottest comic on the market. And what better way to facilitate Star Trek comics than pairing them with your biggest property because i mean uh, x-men the animated series is on tv you have the x-men comics on the on the top of the charts it and they're using a a pretty premier league of of x-men characters it's pretty much the animated series minus jubilee as far as the cast of this of this comic 
Yeah, there's there's a few uh, like Bishop is in it, which is which is interesting. Gambit is in it and has two sentences in the entire book, making me yeah. wonder why Gambit is in this book. So, uh, the, so the 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 thing that I want to talk about, well, let's talk about the story, and we'll briefly yeah. go over that, and then we'll talk about sort of the reaction to this book because it's it's certainly interesting. So. Uh, we open up, it is a captain's log, as you have to open almost every Star Trek uh, experience with a captain's log. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's great. Uh, and, and this is Kirk-era Star Trek. So it's Kirk, Spock, Bones, Scotty, uh, etc. Uh, you know, the original series cast that I'm just naming for no reason. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they come across this spatial anomaly like what happens in in Star Trek and then all of a sudden this ship emerges and it's a ship unlike any that they've ever seen before but it's something kind of similar to what you might see if you're an X-Men fan because it's a Shi'ar style 90s X-Men style ship it's then probably destroyed and a larger ship comes out and then this big Shi'ar dude is just in space and he punches the Enterprise and it's <laughs> I love Very that strange you punch ship. <laughs> you just punch my ship. Uh, and what, what I what I love about this this opening bit and 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 really the first like eight or nine pages is all Star Trek stuff. Every, everything written from the Star Trek perspective sounds like it was written in a Star Trek episode. Everyone talks like their characters, and I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but th- you read plenty of comics where people take liberties. This honestly sounds like someone wrote a Star Trek spec script in terms of how the, the TOS cast talks to one another. Yes. It, they, they get the Star Trek language down very, very succinctly. And I'm also going to say the Star Trek art in this is pretty good. They look very, you know, they look very Trek. They, they're, they're very identifiable as, as their characters. Yeah, they they don't try to do what what a lot of shows do now, which I have no problem with. But they don't update it. They just use the the, the old school outfits, and all the characters look close enough to the actors. So there's no 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 attempt to like, oh, we're, we're going to make Kurt, but he's not going to look like you know William Shatner. I my my biggest problem with with the early writing is I find it super obnoxious to have Chekhov say Kipton and spelt out K-E-P-T-I-N. I don't bother. That doesn't bother me in the slightest because I, I'm, I guess I'm just I, used I to understand, it. I understand that Chekhov has an accent, but for whatever reason, it really bothered me. <laughs> what, what makes me, what, what I think is funny is that they missed an opportunity to have uh, Chekhov and Colossus hang out with each other. <laughs> that would have been great. Uh, so, so uh, basically, to make a long story short, the space anomaly is the X Men character Proteus, who I am not super familiar with. So here's the problem with this book, and and I do like this comic a lot. As a fan of both, I, I understood everything. However, this is the problem: is they take some some already convoluted stuff from both franchises and especially the X-Men. Like if I was a Star Trek fan, I would, I would know who Mitchell was and understand what that meant. 
But if I didn't know the X-Men characters and was buying this because, oh, I know who the X-Men are kind of tangentially, but I'm not super familiar with them, I would be so confused. And I absolutely was confused. The uh, what is her name? Deathbird? Deathbird. Uh, the, the sister of Lalandra. The, the Shi'ar stuff. And this is, this is, this again, this is why people have difficulty getting into comics. Because certain books, like the X-Men, who, I, I mean, I am a massive X-Men fan. But I also understand that the X-Men was basically, up until, I would say, Marvel tried to really rework them a few years ago, it's a soap opera. And the Shi'ar stuff is very, very soapy and convoluted. And so you need to know that Deathbird's a sister of Lalandra, who who at one point was the empress of the Shi'ar Empire, who had a, uh, a romantic liaison with Charles Xavier, and the X-Men have often gotten tied into the stuff that has to do with them. It's a whole mess. And it doesn't even make sense at this point why Gladiator's there. Because he's supposed to be defending the empress. So, I, and I know he's flip-flopped a few times, but I... Even I was like, I don't understand why he's there. And and I wonder if I was reading X-Men comics in the 90s when this came out, if that might have been a little more clear. Nope. There we go. I can I, I can tell you right now. Nope. That, that answers <laughs> that. So so Proteus, this this X-Men character who is oh, God, some, started on that one. <laughs> some kind of psychic uh, has got crossed over into the universe of Star Trek and has taken over the dead body of Gary Mitchell from the episode for the, the, the one of the first Star Trek episodes ever where no man has gone before. Uh, I believe it might, might be the first TOS episode with Kirk that they filmed. One of the iconic ones with the, with the guy with the like glittery contact lenses that was a cool effect then and it's still very cool today like i don't know how they pulled that off uh, with that effect back then because it seems really dangerous in the 60s to have something in your eyes like that but i don't know different d- different conversation and and so the the x-men and the the star trek crew have to team up and and put their their minds and their powers together to siphon off the energy from the space anomaly which is giving proteus slash gary mitchell the capability to alter reality as we know it yes and proteus is i I would say one of the one of the most annoying problematic characters in x-men he's often used in 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 stories he he was used in one classic story he's the son of moira mctaggart and and was created very problematically i if if i would just say if you're going to read his wikipedia entry uh be warned there is some very triggering stuff in his origins um i think now he ha- is is part of the the five he's he's no longer a massive villain but if if this is a character that would confuse you trust me i don't know why or how he's there there, <laughs> there is so much about this and this is this is the problem with this this story is I think it's a great Star Trek episode featuring the X-Men. There's some really good stuff when the X-Men first get there, and there's some fun bits, even though I don't quite buy uh, Spock taking on Wolverine the way that happens. 
But, I do, uh, however, I d- like Spock fully taking out Wolverine with a nerve pinch and Spock just expecting expecting Wolverine to stay down and it gets up in two seconds. Yes, that was great. Was uh, Gene, Gene completely shrugging off Kirk's advances was hilarious. I thought uh, that was an excellent moment. Uh, Nurse Chapel walking in and, talk, and, and talking to Bones and Beast and, oh, and says, you have to have that. It says, Dr. McCoy, and both of them look because they're both Doctors McCoy. You had to have that moment. It's, it's, you absolutely had to. I mean, there is some really great stuff in this book. The problem happens where you have about half of it introducing this whole concept. They take a lot of time setting up the Enterprise and and what's going on, and then also showing, okay, the X-Men are on the ship, and we've got to show this, this misunderstanding happen. So you don't have much time to really deal with the villain stuff. And the villain stuff is, I mean, they just start pressing, like, fast forward on the story <laughs> because there's not really enough to say. And I would say the, the only other thing, cause again, I also think that it's a very interesting star Trek. Like it, it could have not been X-Men and this story would have played out the exact same way. It felt like a star Trek animated series episode. Yeah. But uh, speaking of the animated series, I mentioned at the start of this, that I think that the star Trek art and the way that the star Trek feel is great. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is I look at the 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 art page for this and how many people worked on art for this book. And I figured out as I'm sitting here talking to you why that is. Because every Star Trek character is drawn to look like the real person, the real life actor that right. was there. But every X-Men character is drawn to look like a 90s X-Men character. So well, you it, 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 the thing is, it was 90s X-Men. So, yes. Well, yeah. OK, so so but, but what I'm saying is you have real people in air quotes talking to literal cartoons. There is they, they, they did. Yes, they didn't do anything to match the art. So it looks really weird to have these very realistic characters and mm-hmm. nine and a half foot tall bishop. With, with these huge gigantic that, that is that's not my only problem with with the art the art itself is very very good like i have no issues with the art but there are and this is a problem with a, not, a lot of a problem this is a a characteristic of a lot of 90s comics it is, where it is they 90s are, guys this is a 90s book <laughs> yes but it, they look like it's almost like they wanted to sell a poster rather than show sequential art. There is a there is a page, I think it's around page like 21, 22, where the X-Men and the Star Trek crew are all together. And Wolverine's crouched and looks like he's ready to rumble, even though everyone's just standing around talking. <laughs> and but if you had taken away all of the the um speech bubbles. It would look like a very cool pinup poster you could sell at, at you know Walmart and and Target, but the problem is it doesn't do well for sequential storytelling. And they do the same thing with the villains when Deathbird is is suddenly there, like hanging on uh, Mitchell's shoulder, and I'm like, what what is happening? And this this is really the problem with that book uh, is is I feel like. Because they only 
gave themselves X amount of pages. And from what I, I did read is this book was kind of rushed. That may also be why they had so many people on art on this book, because they needed to get it done very quickly. Yeah, and I actually I actually like the the kind of dueling art styles. I think it looks very cool. It's it's just that I mean, if you had even given this story two issues, you would have cleaned up most of the problems because this is a cool story. It, it works cool as an X-Men story and it works cool as a Star Trek story, mostly as a Star Trek story featuring the X-Men. The only issue is because they spent so much time kind of with the setup the fast for the villains gives you, it just leaves you feeling a little like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I saw them team up and, and that was kind of neat, but you didn't really feel like there was much story there. Yeah. Um, I do love that. Uh, Cyclops seems more mildly annoyed and inconvenienced at being in a version of the future as if this happens all the time, which it does, but he just yeah. seemed like, Oh God, this is just another day at the office. And I, I really liked that. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's fun. It's just, it's not a lot to write home about, honestly. Yeah. And that, 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 that's really, it's only sin is, is yeah, it's, it's there. It's cool. I mean, you get some good art. It's just, the story just doesn't quite fit, especially for for one issue. And and I would I would say our next book has similar issues. It's just better executed. So I so let's let's move forward because we also read Star Trek: The Next Generation, X Men, Second Contact, and this this is a a very fun book for me for a number of reasons. Um, obviously. I'm more tied to the Next Generation cast than the TOS cast, so immediately that just bumps it up a little bit in my book. But mm -hmm. I'm going to say, this book went places I did not expect at all, and I was there for it. So, Oh, yeah. Well, one, they, they gave this book about twice as much room to breathe. And they also clearly had uh, two people writing who were very, very intimate with Star Trek and X-Men. Yes, absolutely. So, and, and the thing I like about this is also because they could tie it to something that was going on in the real world, as far as the media is concerned, they, they had this pre-built story built in, not just on the, 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 x-men side but on the star trek side or, or vice versa because the star trek side is i think a little more obvious for for just memory so if you remember the, the star trek movie first contact spoilers for first contact there is time travel involved and at the end of that movie they have to travel back to the their their present well mm -hmm. this this book supposes huh what if they did they, they had a little side trip before they actually got to the present I love this entry point because it fits in with the movie timeline. It, I mean, like, because this could have happened. No problem. And I, I love that. Also, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little sucker for the obvious title. Second Contact. It's It works because it's a second crossover between these two uh, IPs. And it works as a sequel to First Contact. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I know it's a super obvious title, but I... I ate it up. I also like the more comic book looking art of yes. this book. I will say I was not used to, again, this is only two years later. This is 1998 versus 1996. But in that time, you have 
a different makeup of the X-Men team. You have a lot of stuff that's happened in those two years and a lot of changing looks. Um, Nightcrawler in shorts, gang. You saw Nightcrawler <laughs> in shorts and it was odd. Well, not only that, but um, because they were using different X-Men in both main teams, even though everyone who was in the prior X-Men crossover was still involved with the X-Men, I think the writers just kind of picked and choose who they wanted to use. And they chose some random ones. like And, and no one I dislike, but Banshee would not have been on the top of my list. Yeah, you know, but... It, it's fine. I, I, I'm not mad at it. Um, but I, yeah, I do like that. Basically, they they goof up and they go backwards instead of forward. Yeah. So the Enterprise E has gone backwards in time. Their their ship is damaged because they've just gone through the whole stuff in the movie. So they need they need to to fix the ship somehow. And they're scanning the planet, realizing they're in the wrong place. But oh. There's Shi'ar technology down there that we could use to fix the ship, which is also interesting because that presupposes that the Shi'ar are a an alien race in Star Trek that they're just familiar with. Well, I think there, it might have been logs from Kirk because they're supposed to be in different universes. Which is, yes, it, it, is, it is also very interesting when... Because, of course, they beam down to the planet. They're in disguise. Worf hates jeans. It's very funny. That that panel is so freaking hilarious because for whatever reason, <laughs> the, the, the focus is on Worf, who looks fully fleshed out. But then you get Riker, who just looks ridiculous in, in some of the worst <laughs> proportioned clothing I've seen. And then Troy looks looks fine, although very, very blonde. And I can't remember if she was that blonde in First Contact. That's Beverly Crusher. Oh, is it supposed to be Crusher? Yeah. Well, also, why is she blonde? Uh, great question. <laughs> but um, so whoever it's supposed to be, because she's, she's redhead the next thing. Um, so, yeah, they pop in and they see the Thunderbolts, which if you were reading 90s comics at the time, you might recognize vaguely, but it's not important all that matters is they're in what they know as their past and all of a sudden see like colored superhero looking people and are very confused. And they're like, why isn't the eugenics war supposed to be going on right now? What's happening? Which is just, <laughs> which is something that they, every time they go back to the nineties, like in Voyager, they, they tr write off a little bit of the eugenics wars. It's very funny to me as a diehard Star Trek fan, but so as uh, what so they're they're teaming up and they and of course Wolverine uh, is there as well and they're like we're from the we're from the the Federation Starship Enterprise and Wolverine's just like oh are you Kirk's people <laughs> because he's <laughs> met Kirk <laughs> well I, this is this is after there's been a little tussle yeah. between Data and Colossus which is really really funny um, and of course Professor X is not in this book at all. Uh, it, it's something that comes up in the the sequel to this book, which is a novel. <laughs> so a whole other can of worms we'll get into. But um, basically, they they come to an understanding, and you know they want to use this 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 technology to fix their ship. And and the X Men are usually pretty cool until they get a uninvited visitor. Yeah. So they, they decide, okay, well, they're going to help. We know who these people are. Da -da 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 -da. And then all of a sudden, Kang the Conqueror 
Long-time <gasps> Marvel time-traveling villain shows up. What a random person. Like, okay, I'm going to write an X-Men Star Trek, you know, crossover. And I'm going to use, oh, classic Avengers villain Kang. Well, Kang's a time traveler, so you have that that already built there in. There are plenty of X-Men villains that time travel. <laughs> I can promise you that. So, and even at the time. <laughs> so and this but this is where the the story gets really interesting and really cool. Because Kang tells them, okay, you've got a bunch of chronoton particles, which are time particles. They're used a lot in Star Trek. This is all Star Trek stuff. And there are these these weird events that are happening all throughout the timeline that are because of what you did trying to travel through time. So you need to go and fix them so that the timeline can right itself. Mm -hmm. And and he gives them these these time travel bracelets that are going to take them to that exact spot and and they're going to fix them. And this is where stuff is so cool because the timelines are merging between the X-Men world and the the Star Trek world. So what's the first place that that one team goes back to? The Days of Future Past 2013. Which is yeah, just, which is which is which is weird because uh, the days of future fat past uh, twenty thirteen also supposes the offspring are still relevant because there's a giant offspring poster on one of the <laughs> yes, uh, walls. It's so funny. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you matched the wrong pop punk band. <laughs> but 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 again, this is where the the things start to cross over. So in this, you've got sentinels that are showing up but you've got the 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 mutant resistance and the human resistance to to what's going on but who's there to send kitty pride back in time in order to to have her warn them of what's going on tasha yar i love this what this this was this was evidence of not evidence uh, an example of perfectly blending these two things together and even if you didn't know who she was from Star Trek, you kind of figured out because they 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 give you enough context. Oh, this person's from Star Trek. This is this is the blending of these two timelines. And if you're a fan of both, you're like, this is very very cool. So then the other timeline, they go back and they are aboard a Miranda class starship. But it's not but where. Well, where so, Drew? so here's the thing: there are there are a few very important Miranda class starships. One of them is the USS Reliant from Star Trek II. Uh, however, if you look at the hallways, those hallways don't look like a Star Trek II era hallway. They look like a Next Generation era hallway. What's the most famous Saratoga class ship? Or excuse me, Miranda class ship. Spoiler spoiler warning: they're on the USS Saratoga, which is. Known for being the ship that Commander Sisko from Deep Space Nine was on at the Battle of Wolf 359. And, and if we're getting super, super nerdy, look, we're both big Star Trek fans. I'm, we're both X-Men fans. This is this is how you give fans what they want from a crossover. Because you are just giving really good, nerdy stuff. Because for me, and I think Drew agrees, if you're going to have an X-Men Star Trek crossover. It needs to have some really juicy nerdy morsels here. And I think this completely delivers. Oh yes. And, and then Borg show up and you've got X-Men, you've got Wolverine 
cutting just, o- just go cutting to town open, on the board cutting open borg and it's fantastic and yeah because mostly don't let them touch you and he's like what if i touch them and he starts slicing them up because you know you can't you can't change the frequency of the blade so yeah i mean it's the same reason Worf used a mechleth in first contact <laughs> but it just but this is not where this book stops this isn't the no. middle and and of course, as as all this is going on, as we're flashing back, as we're flashing between these two teams doing these two things, we find out that oh, Kang, who has sent them on an, an errand of mercy to save the galaxy, oh no, he has a different plan. He's actually the bad guy, and he's using them to destroy these moments in time so that but he Drew, can take full but, control. But Drew, who who tells them what Kang is doing? And now we're back on the Enterprise E as Commander Riker is there and and, and and monitoring the two teams and what they're doing in these two different timelines. And all of a sudden, there's this flash of blue and white light. And it is and the, the Traveler and Wesley Crusher to I, save the day. I popped so hard this moment. I, I am an unabashed Wesley Crusher fan. I always have been. I know I'm one of the few that proud. But... This was so cool. I lost and, and this, it. This, I lost so it. This when this happened. So was was uh, TNG off the air by this point, or was that ninety nine that it ends? Oh, TNG was. I mean, this was TNG movies. This was in the movie era. Okay, okay. Um, because yeah, the Traveler. <laughs> it's one of the, I will say, sloppier elements of TNG, but it's one I I do like a lot. And when he pops in with with the mad lad himself, Wesley Crusher, I I had to I had to applause. Oh, I was and, reading it, but I had I so, had to applause. And so keep in mind, by this point, the Traveler and Wesley have this interaction in the very first season of Next Generation, where the Traveler, who is this guy that has some weird time powers, yeah, special, he's like lame Doctor Who. Sure, he tells Wesley that Wesley has this this path and then wesley uh, as tng goes on wesley goes off to starfleet academy there's a whole incident with uh with this st- pilot stunt thing that they that they had and uh and he's kind of become disillusioned with starfleet and then in season seven as as star trek tends to do they kind of give you a character episode to kind of give a little denouement to each character on the show, they brought back Wesley for an episode and his episode was the traveler showing back up and Wesley and the traveler disappearing off into the universe together on some weirdness. And we have not, we had not seen Wesley Crusher since then. We would not see him for another several years. Yeah. And it's, it, it was it was it was a nice thing and, to include, and to have him be the one to save the day, and to take Kitty Pride with him, which just makes so much sense. Oh, but can we talk about the creepiest two panels in this entire comic? When uh, I think it's Banch that says, "It's not just me, is it, Warren? Kitty's growing up, right?" And then you get this weird, super close-up panel of. Uh, Angel <laughs> already grown, Sean. <laughs> it's so weird. I didn't. I, 
I didn't get a weirdness about that, but I don't know. Maybe <laughs> no, you know, you look at that panel with that weird close up on Angel's face because it's not even like a close up of his entire face. It's like his eye, nose, and mouth. It's so odd, and it, it that's what makes the whole thing creepy because it looks like he's ogling. It's just it's just an odd panel. Um, oh, and, and 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 during all of this, you have Worf and Wolverine bonding over being warriors. I love that. I love that. Like they're stealing each other's lines. I mean, because there, there's an alternate cover for have, the, there's an alternate cover for this book that is Wolverine's claws clashing against a batleth, and it's red. <laughs> and well, that and if, if you're gonna have two two of these characters clearly get along, it's gonna be. Wolverine and the Klingon. Yeah. Like they're going to see eye to eye. But so here's where we get, I think, the moment that both Drew and I got super excited about. Uh, when we we actually see Commander Cisco. So, so the thing about this is that, and this is the thing that, because what they have done is they've taken two extremely iconic moments one from the Star Trek timeline and one from the X-Men timeline, and they flip-flop some characters. So you've got, in 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 the X-Men timeline, you've got Days of Future Past, maybe the most well-known X-Men story? Yes. Top three, uh, at least. Also mixing with uh, John Proudstore's prior death, which I don't think he had been resurrected at that point. Well, I'm, I'm, so, so, I'm talking about the X-Men one right now. Right, but John John Prowstar is the X Men character in question, though. Right, but I, he's not in the Days of Future Past timeline. He's in the the. No, he's he. Oh no, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm okay. talking. Not a big deal. We're 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 talking about. There's like forty characters in this book. <laughs> there's a lot going on in this book, and that is kind of an issue. So so. But go on. So so you've got you've got Tashiar that is put in place of of um. I can't. I can't remember who it was in the original. Uh, was it the, what in in Days of Future Past to send Kitty Pride back in time? Was it Gene? What? Who was it? Uh, no. Um, who do they use? I believe they were using machinery. Actually, in, in the movie, they use Rogue and Xavier, but and they may still use like Xavier's brain. Uh, but but I the, think what it is. But they, but the thing about it is they, they like someone calls her like they use a line that is from Days of Future Past, but Tasha says it instead, and it's a very cool line. But on flip, right. flop, but on the flip, because so it's basically just one character inserted that's just subtly different in this iconic scene from the X Men, and the same thing happens in this iconic scene from from Star Trek. So the Battle of Wolf three five nine is a is the last stand of the Federation versus the Borg in the episode best of both worlds parts one and two one of the most maybe the most iconic next generation episodes of all time yes we do, but the epi, but the scene in question that we're seeing is actually from deep space, deep Nine. space nine's pilot episode the emissary which is part of of commander cisco's backstory as he was the first officer of the saratoga during the Battle of Wolf 359, and he's running to try to get his wife and son into an escape pod before he he joins the rest of the crew and, and escaping. And that scene in the comic plays out just like the scene plays out in the in the episode, except they replace the random 
Starfleet ensign that dies as part of that in that episode with John Proudstar, this iconic Marvel Comics X-Men character. And it's 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 so cool that they did that. And and I think that that unlike the first Star Trek X-Men crossover where they just used they tried to do things like this. They just didn't necessarily pick the right things to resonate. But this they 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 took the time and they got the detail right. And it was just mm-hmm. I loved this so much. I I did too. I I thought I thought that to to be able to, this book does what I think the first crossover didn't do, which I think is successfully crossover both of these franchises and tell a fulfilling story that will excite fans of both franchises. Yes. And while I do feel like this book does try to cram a lot into one book, and if you had given this two issues, just a little room to breathe because it does feel like it's it's breakneck pace and it gets it feels a little convoluted just because of how cramped everything is. That said, I feel like this this book does such a good job with its storytelling because it feels much more like a comic book. It's also a little bit longer. It's a forty or a sixty page book, isn't it? Something like that, yeah. Versus a forty something. Yeah, so it does have a, a higher page count, but I mean, especially the way they they fuse some of these scenes, I think is is fantastic because it, it gives emotional moments from both franchises. And so even if maybe the X-Men moment didn't do it for you, the Deep Space Nine moment where even though you may not know John Proudstar from the X-Men comics, the context that Storm gives you where it happens again, you still understand that he's the guy that that saved Cisco so that he could at least get, well, what he hoped would be Jennifer and Jake to safety – well, as as we know with D Space Nine, that's and, not exactly what happens. And they they even call out that by Proudstar's sacrifice to save Cisco, Cisco will go on to meet the prophets who live outside of time. And because we learned that basically what Kang is doing is these moments that the that he's telling them to to go and stop and destroy are the moments that the universes are trying to repair themselves. That's just how they're repairing themselves. Which is Data the one that says that? Uh, how does he know? Wesley says that I think. Oh, okay. So. And to think that there's a sequel to this in a novel that now I really want to read. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so basically they, they, they correct these, these scenes from their timelines and go and stop Kang in a very, very rushed conclusion <laughs> where it's just, they fire on him. And, they send the X-Men back. The X-Men are like, oh, it'll be good to... Re-. And before they can get the word relax out, you he- you see Nightcrawler go, hey, what's this? How can this be? And you see a shocked look on all the X-Men's face before you see the words, to be continued in the Star Trek Next Generation X-Men novel Planet X on sale in April. I like I can you imagine the book you're reading says, oh, by the way, it'll be continued in a few months in, in a, a novel. novel. I I'm I want to read this. What a novel flex. Yeah, yeah. And and what's what what's bad about this is that the 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 partnership fell apart shortly after this. And so we we don't have any more of it because I there's something about the way that these <sighs> 
The way the characters work together is something that works really well. Like they seem to actually form bonds between each other in this book that they don't really do in the original. I, I just, and it can't just be the extra 20 pages. There's just something special it's about the writing. The, yeah. I mean, Scott Lobdell has always, I mean, as we mentioned last week, he's a uh, very questionable human being as it is. But his writing's always been questionable. He's he has done some some decent stuff. I I, I liked Generation X when it came out, um, but he was never great with character. Whereas in in this book, we get honestly two writers who really understand how both universes work and the details they went into pleasing both fan bases and getting these characters right and how they were written. I think really goes to to show like how how at least in the second one it's such a success because even though I do say that the, that this book is a little convoluted and would have just a little room to breathe would have made it mwah, this is still a really fun read and I still feel like this is a better crossover than the first the first comic wholeheartedly agree and well I want to talk about some details of this book. But for some reason, I feel like we need to go ahead and talk about what we're doing next week. Because I, I, I'm feeling a little special right now. I feel like we need to do something a little special talking about these books. So, Miles, what are yeah. we doing next week in our on our our oh final boy. comic book crossover cavalcade? Oh, boy. We are doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. This is very recent. This is is less than two years old. Like uh, the last issue came out like a month or two ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how how, um, how many issues is this series? It's five issues, and and you will see. I think the and this because this is a twenty year different, twenty two year difference. Because uh, as I said at the uh, top of this episode, a lot of crossovers starting around this time, moving forward, they got comfortable with doing one. Two and and sometimes an entire miniseries worth of issues. Um, I mean, they, they even did like Spider or not Spider Man, uh, Superman Gen thirteen, which was a couple issues. Like they they were able to get a couple issues out of that. And I feel like when you have more time, and especially with with writers and artists who kind of understand the characters, you can get more out of it. Um, both Drew and I, and and we may cover this book one day in a future. Uh, comic crossover cavalcade month we've both read batman ninja turtles and it's a really fun book and there's two different versions of batman ninja turtles with two different versions of batman and two different versions of the ninja turtles are there three now well so there so there is the the, you're correct there are two versions one was an animated series kind of crossover batman ts and tmnt and there are three batman ninja turtles books by um I think it was. I think it was Tynion and uh, Fred Williams III. I believe they. I believe that's that's. I, I know. Ty, I know Tynion or Tynion wrote it. Um, they they adapted They've done three of those books, and they adapted that one into an animated movie, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. It's great. Um, so I have read this. I don't think Drew has. Um, I, I, I've read the first issue, but I, I fell off of it because you know time happens. It happens. Yes, t- time definitely happens. But it, it'll be interesting to see how much you're able to comfortably put into a five issue series as opposed to a lot of singles that we have read, except for the Batman aliens, which again, if you would cram that book into 60 issues, it would not have worked as well. But because we got two issues of Batman versus aliens, 
oh baby yeah it, it was great it's just it's all it's all a matter of pacing uh so that's gonna be next week for our final comic book crossover cavalcade and but, if you are like Drew and I and would like to read Planet X, uh, it's really easy to get on Amazon. You can get it on paperback and Kindle right now. Nice, because I'm really thinking about it. I don't have time to do this, Miles. Why do I want to I, so bad? I, I, I do not either, but I am I am super stoked because, I mean, if you're still listening to us, you know that I love Power Rangers, and this is going to be a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, so, Drew... Drew, you you wanted to talk about some specifics. Yeah, so it's funny that this that this Star Trek The Next Generation X-Men crossover is called Second Contact. And it's also funny that on the bridge of the Enterprise E, there's a name check of a of a lieutenant that's sitting at the helm named Lavelle. First name Sam. Huh. Sam Lavelle, where do I know that name? Oh, that's right. He's an ensign in the iconic episode of The Next Generation. Lower decks. Yes, he is. And there's a what? little show that just came yeah, out. Isn't, isn't that the new Star Trek show? Yeah, it is. It's the new animated Star Trek show, Miles. And you know what? It's it features the crew of the USS Cerritos. And you know what the USS Cerritos specializes in? What? Second contact. Well, wouldn't you know it? <laughs> We are taking a few minutes at the end of this episode because I, we're talking about Star Trek. There's new Star Trek on. I can't help myself. And so we, we're, we're put, putting this here because you've already listened to everything. If you don't want to listen to us, spoil the heck out of the first. At the time that we're recording this, two episodes of Lower Decks. Um, I think even by the time this is releases, I think it'll still only be two episodes. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I can't remember. I can't remember if it's Wednesday or Thursday, but yeah. it's you know, it's still it doesn't matter. Two episodes, doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah. two episodes are out now, and that's what we're talking about. Lower decks, the CBS All Access animated Star Trek series, that is a little more tongue in cheek, pushed as a an animated comedy. Uh, yes, with the created by Mike McMahon, who is a writer on uh, Rick and Morty. He also wrote on Solar Opposites with. With uh, Jessica which Royal. is hard for me to believe because I did not care for that show at all, and I have heard um, the very opposite reaction. I haven't seen Solar Opposites, so I can't tell you that. But I think I think Mike had the same reaction I did. But I, I do want to ask you, Drew, based on the trailer, before we get into the show, what were your preconceived notions for Lower Decks? My preconceived notions, based on the preview, was that we were going to get an animated comedy series that was a little raunchier, a little a little wilder, and also absolutely packed with with background references which and it's not too far off from what we got yeah so um, so what's what's I, what's funny about this show and i want to i want to talk about mike mcmahon for for a little bit because yes he he has been a writer on rick and morty and a producer on rick and morty for for since the beginning of that show but i he think he left the show to do this I don't know. He might still be working on that because animation takes forever. And I, I can't answer that question. Um, he, yeah, he, le- he left, he left uh, in during the fourth season to work on other projects, which is well, this. Yeah. Uh, he won the Emmy for pickle Rick, which is a, th- a sentence that I never thought I'd say out loud, but here it is. Oh, you know, <laughs> got to start somewhere. <laughs> but Mike McMahon is also known for prior to Rick and Morty, prior to all this stuff happening. He is the guy behind the Twitter account TNG season eight. 
you told me that. Yeah. So so it was a parody funny Twitter account that was just tweets that were episode premises for a season eight of the next generation that never happened. And they were very funny. It was very good. And and when I discovered that about him, knowing that he was going to to be in charge of this show, I went from being huh to all right. And uh and I gotta say, as as the thing that I will say is that if you looked at the advertisements for this, much like if you looked at the advertisements for another sci-fi comedy series that aired on Fox not that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> and you looked at that and you thought, oh, I don't think this is very funny. Or, oh, this is all this is? Oh, is this going to work? There is an Orville effect in play here. They put this the is comedy in the ads. And I'm sorry, Moss, go ahead. Oh, no, this is what I was worried about because my my preconceived notion was I was worried that the Orville might have spoiled Lower Decks because while you and I both agree you can have more than one sci-fi comedy, most people will look at this and like, oh, this is just an animated Orville. And I was really worried about that. And I would worry, I was worried that it actually would follow some of those beats. And I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised to say... It doesn't. I, I, two episodes in, I really, really dig this show. I dig this show for being, I, I, I actually think it's funny. I know that, 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 I not, love it. That may not be the taste for everyone, but I it, think Beckett Mariner might be my favorite character in Star Trek. Yeah, it is <laughs> for me and Beckett Mariner specifically because she will just rattle off. Star Trekness, like Trekkie things that are going on, and, <laughs> but she doesn't care at all. <laughs> and, and, but she also does. Like you can oh, tell. Yes, it, it's yes. It, it's so. She doesn't, like, she doesn't, yeah, she. Yeah, and I. There are things I don't want to spoil about about this show. Um, but I do love that they. And it's it's weird to compare it to Orville because all Orville is doing is bouncing off Star Trek: The Next Generation. Like that, that is, that is what Seth MacFarlane loves. That is what they were going for. And, and for that, I, I thank them because one, the Orville is an, an amazing show, but as a fan of TNG and yes, the first couple episodes of the Orville are a little comedy heavy, but it, it, it really leans into being a working class Star Trek. Whereas lower decks, it, and yes, they're, they're the more like, I, I, I guess you could say the working class characters, but it really feels like. It's it's more like we have the sandbox. Let's play with it a little bit. Yes, literally. And I'm going to spoil this moment because it, it's 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 fantastic. In the second episode, Beckett Mariner and 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 uh, Brad Boimler, which is just a fantastically nerdy, terrible yeah, name. No, it's, he's, he's perfect. <laughs> uh, uh, they get into this bar fight on this alien bar. And Beckett jumps on top of a table and she grabs her hands together in this like move. And, and I'm doing this for the camera so that Miles can see. She literally yells Kirk hands as she swings her double fists at this <laughs> at this alien, at this Andorian that she's fighting. Because she's literally using Kirk Fu, the the really weird zany fight style that that Kirk had in the original series and it's fantastic. 
they, so funny. And and they just they go they 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 are not afraid to get extremely specific with their references to the point where if you don't know what those references are when you're watching it, who cares? But and if that's, you, that's but key. if you do, it's just that extra little sprinkle of sugar on top of everything. I'm I'm loving this show so far. Yeah, so I re- I rewatched these episodes uh, with my girlfriend because I wanted to, to watch it with someone who does not have as much experience with Star Trek. She likes Star Trek, but she has not, you know, uh, kind of surrounded herself in Star Trek like that you and I have. Like she 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 enjoys what she's seen. She likes the the newer movies. But she she does not understand all the references or or would not. But there were there are things that she laughed at because they were genuinely funny because the, the writing in this show is really good that it does not matter if you don't know. There's a specific joke that is one of those kind of like little zingers at the end of a of a moment that mentions section 31. The way it's delivered and the connotation of it made her laugh. And we talked about it after, after like she did, she didn't know what section 31 was, but because they give you all the context you need, it's still a funny joke. And that's, that's what I loved about it is, and that's what she loves about it is it's a genuinely funny show that even though there's all these morsels for the Uber Star Trek nerds, it's still written in a way that's super funny and super relatable for anyone to watch. So even if you're not a big Trekkie or Trekker or whatever weird word you want to use, you will still enjoy it. I I'm, I'm especially with, with Mariner and Boimler. I think obviously that the two main characters of the show, but I do want to throw out uh, some, some love to, to Tendi and Rutherford, the other two lower deckers. <laughs> Oh, and they get a lot, a lot more love in the second episode with a great story. I, yes. I love that that completely subverts everything all of the time, and it kind of really endears Rutherford to you. Oh yeah, for sure. Which, which again, and this is funny. Sam Rutherford is played by an actor named uh, Eugene Cordero, who a lot of people will know as Pillboy from uh, The Good Place. But Eugene Cordero has joined a very exclusive club. Yeah. Yeah, Eugene Cordero has joined a very exclusive club of performers who have been in both Star Trek and Star Wars. Because he was he was in The Mandalorian as one of the uh, the the villagers on the the like shrimp farm planet in that episode of that. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and and Noel Wells, formerly of Saturday Night Live, uh, just doing a fantastic job as the excitable Tendy. Just I love Tendy. <laughs> and and this is just this is just talking about the lower deckers themselves. We've also got just the cameos, the guest stars of the actual command crew on the on the ship, which is which is just so fantastic. Uh, okay, so we've got okay. Jerry O'Connell. So we've got Cap. We've got Captain Freeman, who is who is trying to trying to come up with a, a warp core, like a, a go to warp phrase, which is fantastic. It's warp time. It's warp time. How does that work? Uh, first officer. Actually, that's part. That's part of a whole bit that that opening bit of the second episode is one of my favorite moments, oh, where you have so the, the energy being and the way that Mariner and Tendi interact with it, it's like what would normally be an entire episode of Star Trek is a cold open. 
it's so good. It's so good. So beyond that, you've got uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't. he's so funny. Jack Ransom, Jack Ransom. first it's officer. So, good. so, it's and th- so good. and again, this is especially funny. So Jerry O'Connell, who you may know from from Sliders, yeah, Stand by Me. Great. A great, great guy, a great actor. Uh, he plays the first officer of the Cerritos. He is married to. <laughs> he is 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 married to uh, Rebecca Romaine, who is uh, currently playing the first officer of the Enterprise under Pike in Star Trek Discovery season two, and will be that in Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds. That is is that, is that is that the final title? Uh, yes, I believe that is the title. Um, I, I like it. Well, I got to double check that now, but I'm pretty sure it's Strange New Worlds so that, that that's going to be the title. Discovery Car Prodigy. Maybe it doesn't have the official title yet. I don't know. Because I, I, the, the Nickelodeon show is called Prodigy. Oh, it's a, yeah. Uh, it, this is going to be live action. Uh, I think the Nickelodeon one is too. No, Nickelodeon's animated. Oh, it's animated. Yeah. Okay, because it's by the uh, the people who did uh, um, uh, the the stuff on Netflix that you guys have been talking about on Discord all the time. The um, with the 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 Guillermo del Toro thing. Um, oh, Troll Hunters. Yeah, the, it's by the group that did the Troll Hunters stuff. Oh man, I'm excited about that. I would be if I still didn't strongly dislike the description of that show but it's not for me it's not for me uh, but yes, yeah it's it, for kids uh star trek strange new worlds is the the uh the the new live action show that again hasn't begun production yet uh so beyond that you've got also got uh dr tiana as the the medical officer who <laughs> so dr tiana is a a katian a katian which is a deep cut reference in star trek so the katians are cat people and their first their first appearance was in star trek the animated series as one of the characters because you could suddenly do a lot of crazy aliens on the ship because you didn't have to pay actors and makeup artists and all of that um but because she's this this worn down doctor she she looks like this messed up stray cat, and it's very funny. It's great. She she actually reminds me of Amy Sedaris's character from BoJack Horseman. A bit, yes. Uh, uh, and and she's she's fantastic. And of course, we've got our Bajoran uh, security chief, Shax, which he utters the greatest line that I never thought I would hear uttered, Schmorgisborg, that I. I love. I bet. I love the whole welcome to the bear pack. Welcome and to the bear pack. Oh, that I don't want to spoil that episode because yeah, that, that, that whole sequence is whole so sequence great. You so, also have Paul Shear as as the chief engineer, and I I'm a big fan of Paul Shear. So it was it's it's such, it's such a treat to see some of these people kind of pop up because Jerry O'Connell has never been a stranger to doing these kind of shows. Um. So I'm. I'm happy to see him him kind of do something like this again. And honestly, what what's so great about Lower Decks is yes, it's a really good Star Trek show. Like it's a it's I love seeing other sides of things. Like if I want something serious and brave new worlds, I can watch any other Star Trek show that's out there. I like having a different flavor that 
if you just want something fun that's set in this world that's not so serious, this show functions as that. Like, yes, there are shows in the Star Trek universe that have humor. But every, every Star Trek show has humor. Everyone yes. has humor. It, it's not always there, but every Star Trek show has humor. This is the thing that the people that are critical about the show forget that there are funny well, things that happen. People, people just don't. The problem is people erroneously think that just because the show has humor is that it's making fun of Star Trek or that it's somehow selling out. And that's not the case. It's just a different flavor from this universe. And I, and I know Drew, you agree with me. I love having it. I think it's one, it's got heart in there, but it's also just, it's having fun. And I think right now having something that's, based in fun in a hopeful universe is probably what we need. And I'm going to say something very provocative. If you are a Star Trek fan that was turned off by Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard because they didn't match what you thought Star Trek should be, and I know there are a lot of you guys out there, I personally think that this show, Lower Decks, is the closest that the CBS shows have gotten to what I consider, quote, real Star Trek, end quote. I, I dislike I, the I, term. I, but I, know, I, I, know, I know, I know you dislike the term. I'm putting that out there because I want people to go out there and see it. I, and, and if you don't I get have, what you're saying, though. And if you don't have CBS All Access, at the time that we are recording this right now on in, in 2020, in August of 2020, they have put the first episode up on YouTube, at least for the United States, for free. So that you yes. can go and watch it without CBS All Access. I don't know whether that will be the case when this episode releases, but it is right now. It I does would, say limited time. <laughs> I would highly encourage anybody that is at least a smidge interested to just check it out. Because you never yeah. know. I've, I've watched both episodes twice. And I will probably watch them again. They're very, very funny. They're and they're also they're only twenty two minutes long. It's not going to take that long of your life. So if you want to, yeah, like like Drew said, if you're if you're at least a little bit interested in what that could give you, twenty minutes is not a big ask. And I mean, yes, Drew and I are both massive Star Trek fans, and um, that's that's part of the reason why. I thought it would be great to do this episode because we also took two things that we have covered this year, Star Trek and X-Men and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and put it together. And <laughs> I, that's, that's why you, you, we didn't bother with an intro this week because we'd already covered it. But yeah, I, I, I think that lower decks is it's fun. It's reverent. Yes. It, it, it takes the piss out of some stuff, but you know what? It's okay. It's okay to have fun with things you love. And th it, that is that is what the show does. It has fun. It does not disrespect. And it certainly picks on certain aspects of the Star Trek universe, but it but it does it from a a sense of love and affection and not a sense exactly. of of oh, this is stupid. You know. Yeah, it's, it's like it's it's like it's like getting an affectionate noogie from a friend or something. You know, it's 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 yeah, it's making fun, but it's not it's not out of malice. It's like, yeah, that, that, that thing is kind of funny. Yeah. Because if you talk with your friends about episodes of Star Trek, you will inevitably make fun of something within the episode. That is, that is the humor that this thing's coming from. Because for whatever reason, there have been people who are super, super against 
this kind of show. And I, I don't understand it. I think there are, I think there's a place for many flavors of, of Star Trek. And I love that. I agree. I so 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 far two episodes in we'll see how our our tastes feel about it. Yeah. Uh, we got eight, we got eight more. <laughs> uh, so so with that said, I think it is time to wrap up the episode tonight. So if you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at themoreunerd.com. You can go to facebook.com slash themoreunerd, and you can tweet to us at themoreunerd. That's at themoreunerd. Of course, you can email us themoreunerd at gmail.com. That's themoreunerd at gmail. Com. Once again, right. we are talking about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles next week. <clears throat> Five issue miniseries that just came finished this year. So that's next week. Thank you for joining us to talk about Star Trek and X-Men again. So many times. So many times. So until next time, we're going to end this show as we always do with a rousing make it nerd always steals my best lines. <laughs> <laughs>